0: want to transition into our time of the lesson. And of course, we are still doing our series, Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree. We've been focusing on the cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do. Last week, we, we did a few honorable mentions. These weren't things that were too cringeworthy, but they were uncomfortable. Maybe they were a bit unusual uh, we saw that God made Jeremiah uh, stand at the entrance to, to all the gates of the city of Jerusalem and rebuke people for working on the Sabbath. Then we saw that God made Jeremiah go and watch a potter make uh, uh, make pots uh, on his on his spinning wheel. And then we saw that God had Jeremiah carry a big uh, clay vase uh, jar and smash it in front of group a group of uh, elders and priests. Today. We are going to continue with the cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do, and we're going to be focusing on a time when God told Jeremiah to put on a yoke, the kind of yoke he would put on an animal plowing a field, and then he had him go and speak at a very high-level meeting of influential people while wearing the yoke. So this morning... I got up, was looking for something to wear. I found a a white shirt. I put it on and I got in the car and I looked down and I have a stain right here. Have you ever put some clothes on and realized that maybe there's a stain and then the whole rest of the day you spend thinking that everybody is staring at the stain on your shirt? One of my favorite commercials parodies this. I want to share it with you right now. Now, if you think that wearing a shirt with a stain on it is hard enough to get through your day, imagine going to a meeting of foreign dignitaries and God tells you to put on a yoke, an animal yoke, and go in and discuss your uh, issues you have uh, with these men. That is exactly what God told Jeremiah to do. So we're going to say a quick prayer, ask for God's blessing to be on the message today, and then we're going to turn to Jeremiah 27, and we're going to jump into the lesson for today. Father, we do pray for your spirit to be with us and bless this time. Speak to us through your word. Help us to learn from Jeremiah's life and the things that you made him do, and help it to minister to us, to be more faithful, to to, to be more uh, uh, like you want us to be in whatever the situation is, whatever the setting, regardless of what Or how cringeworthy the the thing is that you're asking us to do may be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start here in Jeremiah 27, verse 1. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then said word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, through the envoys who've come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell, tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are in it. And I give it to anyone I please." Now I will give your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his sons and his grandson until the time has come for the, for for his land, till the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. We're picking up the story, and King Zedekiah is on the throne in Judah. He is officially the last king of Judah. He reigned for about 11 years, beginning somewhere around 597 B.C. and ending somewhere around 586 B.C. I have a little map here of the area basically in the time of Jeremiah, and it shows the various uh, kingdoms that made up Palestine in that day. We notice that in this passage that representatives from almost every kingdom uh, on that map are, are present in Israel, in Judah, in the city of Jerusalem for a very important meeting. The background is that this whole area at this time has now fallen under Babylonian control. They, they defeated Assyria and Egypt. They drove Egypt south all the way back into Egypt, even south of Edom. And they were now in control of all these kingdoms. And they made them what the term is vassal kings. They were basically, they allowed you to have your kingdom as long as you paid tribute and didn't uh, annoy the King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So all these kingdoms were now subject to the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. After a few years, these kingdoms get a little annoyed with having to pay tribute and be subject to the king of Babylon. And so they have a a conference. They send envoys from all these various kingdoms to Jerusalem and to meet with King Hezekiah or Zedekiah in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the purpose of this meeting was to discuss an alliance of all these nations against Babylon. This is a very high level. This is a very important meeting. This is the UN of the time. And in the midst of this meeting in walks our friend Jeremiah, who as we have learned over the past several weeks has a great reputation. He's famous for annoying everybody and for being a jerk to everyone and for condemning everything that everybody ever does, or so it seemed. And he walks in wearing a yoke, the kind of yoke that you would put on a farm animal. And he tells the people in this meeting that it was absolutely pointless for them to be having this discussion Because God had already ordained and decided that Babylon was going to rule these lands regardless of anything they may try to do, any rebellion or anything. They would be utterly defeated. Babylon was going to rule for at least three generations. Therefore, the best course of action for these kings, as he's speaking to their envoys, he sends them home, and tell your king that the best course of action is to accept the yoke of Babylon. You get the image now of why he had the yoke on. He was telling them, wear the yoke. Don't try to resist. Don't try to revolt. Accept the yoke. That is a hard message for anyone to hear. Who here wants who here wants to be told to just suck it up and take it for three generations? The oppressive, ungodly rule of the Babylonians. Who here would want that in their life? You go to work and your boss is very difficult and he's he or she is you know imposing their will on you even in inappropriate ways and you go to God and you hear God say accept the yoke. Very few of us would be comfortable with that message. Yet that's exactly what God wanted them to hear and the reason why he had Jeremiah wear this yoke. You know, there are times in life when God wants us to learn something. And sometimes that something may take a while, even years. And we have to be willing to wear the burden to carry that burden, to wear that yoke of whatever that lesson is. It's not one of those lessons that you can learn by Googling it on YouTube and go, oh, I know what I need to do now. No, this is one of those life lessons, one of those lessons that has to do with our character or repenting of a certain sin or something deeper in our, in our being and in our processing and the way we, we interact with people. And sometimes those lessons are hard to change, and we want them to go fast, And we go on YouTube or we go to seminars and we read the Bible and we want it to change and we think we're ready to change. But guess what? It just keeps coming back and coming back. And so God has now put you in a situation where he wants you to change and it's going to take some time and you're going to have to get comfortable wearing the yoke. Verse 8, if however any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon or bow its neck under his yoke I will punish that nation with sword, famine, plague declares the Lord until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters, your dreams, your mediums or sorcerers who tell you you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and will perish, and you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain on its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. So we get this insight that Jeremiah was one of maybe a few voices. He was the minority of voices who was telling King Zedekiah, Submit, accept the yoke. Don't do what you're planning on doing here. And he even spoke to the other kings, the representatives of the other kingdoms, and he told them the same thing. And he says, listen, don't listen to the other people who are telling you to try to throw off the yoke, that you're not, you're not subject to this. As a matter of fact, God's going to make you endure this for three generations. So don't listen to those other voices. You know, in ancient times, and even today, the yoke is a symbol of captivity. It was not generally regarded as a positive thing. Yet oftentimes, in God's economy, and in this story, the yoke was not only a symbol of captivity, but it was also a symbol of submission. But in this case, it was not submission to Babylon that God, that Jeremiah had in view, it was submission to God himself. And in God's economy, submission to God is a very positive thing. As a matter of fact, if they would listen to Jeremiah, he promised from the promise was from God that they would be able to live in their own lands till their own soil and live. But if they refused to submit to the hand of God that was acting behind the invasion of of the Babylonians, that was working behind the scenes, if they were willing to submit to God and not see it as a submission to the Babylonians, but to God, then they would live. So yesterday, I, uh, I am not a handy person. Well, sort of. So yesterday, I tried to find a yoke. And I couldn't find a yoke, so I made a yoke. Now, this yoke will not work. This is a toy yoke. It's a pretend yoke. It kind of communicates the idea of what a yoke would look like. This is the kind of thing that you would put on, an, on the animal across its shoulders, and then this would get tightened up to the body, and then these these parts here are the reins. And whoever had the reins, okay, see, it didn't work. Whoever had the reins, pulling on the reins, you would have a lot of control over that animal. Whoever controls the reins controls the animal, now, I stand here with this thing on me, and it's kind of silly, it's a little embarrassing, and I can tell you it's kind of uncomfortable. But I can also tell you that if one of you came up here and grabbed these reins, you could, you could pretty much turn me wherever you wanted me to go if I was fastened in completely. I have a question for you. Who is holding the reins in your life? Who has the reins of the yoke that is on you? Is it your wife or spouse? Your kids? Your boss? Is it a situation that you don't like? Is it a sin? Is it a character flaw? Or is it God? Who is holding the reins? Now, you know, it's not an easy question to answer. I'm aware of that. It's not easy for me to answer it in any given moment. I think about it. I don't know. I like to say God's holding the reins, but I'm not always 100% sure. Maybe it's me that's holding the reins. But I can tell you this. At least ask yourself the question. If nothing else, Whenever you go through something in life, whatever you're doing in life, whether it's a tough circumstance, whether it's your fault or not, whether it's someone else's fault or not, whether it's just something that, that you feel like needs to be different in your life, it's always a good idea to ask yourself who is holding the reins. So recently I've been going through what I would call a pretty difficult time. It has nothing to do with you guys. But I'm 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 being challenged personally, and it definitely feels like some of it might be from God. Definitely feels like some of it might be from God. I honestly can't quite tell. I'm sure God's involved. I'm sure there's things that he wants me to know or learn or do, but I can tell you it's a very frustrating time right now. I've been, it's been wearing on me, it's been grating on me. I've been very discouraged off and on. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't even know for sure exactly everything I'm supposed to learn or someone else is supposed to learn. I have no idea what the outcome is. But you know what? It's so funny to me that I decided to do Jeremiah months ago as a study. And here I am doing this lesson on Jeremiah about letting God have the reins of my life. And I just so happen to be going through a very difficult time in my life. Funny how that works out like that. And so it's really important that I learn, and I believe I've been trying to. I I don't know that I'm there, but I'm trying. I'm thinking about it. This lesson helped me a ton. But I keep asking myself the question now, who actually has the reins? Is it me? Is it the other people I'm engaged with in this situation? Or is it God? I don't know what you might be going through currently in your life. I don't know whether you have some sort of difficulty or challenge or just some some sort of phase in your journey that you're in, I just want to remind you to do one thing. Ask yourself, who's holding the reins? Have you given them to the circumstance? Are you taking hold or are you trying to let God take the reins? We're going to read 2 Chronicles 36. Now, I'm skipping. I don't normally do that. I don't normally jump out of the text that I'm in because I like to stay in the text. But this is actually very, very relevant. 2 Chronicles 36 is a parallel passage. To Jeremiah 27. In fact, when we read Second Chronicles 36 and even 35, 36, 37, that whole section, we are actually reading the historical narrative or the backdrop to what we're to what was going on to to what was happening in Jeremiah chapter 27. So let's read verse 36, starting in verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord the God of Israel. Verse 17, God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the treasuries of the king and his officials. They set to fire God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the places and destroyed everything of value there. <clears throat> he carried, Nebuchadnezzar, carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So, in this historical background here, in this context, what we find out is that in this little meeting that Zedekiah had with these envoys, and Jeremiah came in wearing his yoke, in that meeting, Jeremiah said, Don't do what you're thinking, don't rebel, accept the yoke, learn what you got to learn. God will deliver you in three generations. Zedekiah didn't listen to Jeremiah. He went forward with the plan to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And so did the other kings. And guess what happened? Babylon came back to Palestine. They reinvaded another time, second invasion. No, this is the third invasion, actually. And this time, they didn't stop until they totally destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and carried all the people away into captivity. This was the end of the kingdom of Judah as we know it. And the irony or the sad thing or the the, the troubling thing is that it didn't have to happen. God had said, look, Babylon is going to rise to power. They're going to be your overlords. They're going to invade. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. But if you accept the yoke that I'm giving you through them, if you let me hold on to the reins, I will let you remain in your land and I will let you live there until the generations are up and a new nation named Persia rises on the scene. And they wouldn't do it. Zedekiah refused to accept the yoke. He refused to give the reins to God. And so he rebelled against Jeremiah, against Nebuchadnezzar, ultimately against God. And Nebuchadnezzar returned and destroyed everything. This was the end of the temple, this was the end of all the items in the temple. This was the end of the city of Jerusalem. This was the end of the nation of Judah. This was when all the captives, whoever was remaining after the previous invasions were just taken back and the place was left desolate with the exception of a handful of survivors who were destitute and poor and lived in the land victim to whatever marauding band would come through the area. All because one guy and the nation that followed him would not hand the reins over To God. Here's the point. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, you feel the pressure, you feel a yoke being put on you, and you feel yourself being pushed into something different, into some sort of change or new way of functioning or overcoming a sin or whatever the case may be. When you feel yourself in that moment, Ask yourself who has the reins and then give them to God. <laughs> give the reins to God. As scary and as uncomfortable and as fearful and as challenging and as unknown the next steps might be, the one thing you can be sure of is if God has them, He will work for your best interest. He will organize and function in a way, bring about circumstances so that you learn what you need to learn, so that you grow in the way you need to grow, or so that the circumstances plays out that's going to be the best for you and your relationship with him. But it's so hard to hand the reins over. It's so hard to let go and let God, as we like to say. Now, I know exactly what you're thinking because I'm thinking the exact same thing. How do I know? How do I even do that? What does it look like to hand the reins of God? I mean, it's a great phrase, let go and let God, but what what does that look like? Can you offer me any insight just so happens, I can. Not me, but our friend Jeremiah from 2,500 years ago has some insight on what it means to hand the reins over to God. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to read the entire chapter of 28 of the book of Jeremiah. Because what happens here, and if you track the story with me, you're going to see What it would have looked like for Hezekiah to hand the reins over, and then we can apply to what it would look like for us in our context, or you in your context today. So here we go Jeremiah 28. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring it back to the, I will bring back to this place all the article of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon removed from here and took to Babylon. I also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From the earliest times, from early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord, only if his prediction comes true. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of Jeremiah and broke it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went away. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place, you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will put an iron yoke on the necks of these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I will even give him control over the wild animals. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. You've not persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. The very year, this very year, you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Now, I know it's a tricky passage because you keep seeing the word the prophet, you know, Hananiah the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet. If we walk through it slowly, I think we can understand what's happening here together. After Jeremiah has this meeting with these envoys and he wears this yoke and he tells them, guys, you're not going to win. God's already ordained it. Just sit tight, submit to the, the authority, let God take the reins, let God do what he wants to do through us in this tragedy, this difficulty, this circumstance another prophet popped up or a so-called prophet. His name was Hananiah. And he said the opposite of Jeremiah. He said, no, 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 go to war. We're going to win this war. Two years, two years, we're going to win the war. We're going to defeat Babylon. We're going to go back there. We're going to take back all our captives and all the stuff they took to us from us the first couple of times they were here. It's going to be amazing. Jeremiah goes, Well, that would be amazing. (laughs) That would be awesome. But you know what? The test of a true prophet is, does what they say actually happen? So he leaves. And God stops him and says, you know what, go back. Because I have something I want you to tell Hananiah. He goes back. And, he, and, and, and this time Hananiah, I think I already said this, he breaks the yoke and redoubles re down on his prophecy that it's only going to be two years and we've got nothing to worry about. And Jeremiah says, Hananiah, because of what you did, if you lead these people astray, if you lead them into your plan, the yoke is going to now be made of iron. In other words, God is not going to be defeated by your prophecy. God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And now it's even worse because you refuse to listen to the prophecies. And then Jeremiah makes this reference to earliest days. He was talking about former prophets who lived before him. And he says, look, we've all been saying the same thing. Confirmed prophets, people we know who are real men of God, who have prophesied and their prophecies have come true, they have all lined up and said, Babylon is going to win. There's nothing we can do. And if we resist, we're going to be destroyed. But you, Hananiah, are saying the exact opposite. Let me tell you what God says to you. You're not going to live through the rest of the year. Seven months later, Hananiah dies, fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. So we had this question. How do we know we're handing the reins over? I think I'm among, I'm among friends here, and I think all of us want to hand the reins over. I think we all like the idea. We're open to it. But how do you really know you're doing it? In Jeremiah's day, you know how they knew? They had to consult prophets. And then the way they could tell if a prophet was really a prophet is, is what he, did what he say come true? Jeremiah had a track record of very legitimate prophecies that were fulfilled. And so it would have made sense to Zedekiah to listen to Jeremiah. He clearly had the track record. He was accurate. Not only that, but there was a whole laundry list of prophets before Jeremiah who made similar prophecies and those all came true. But Zedekiah refused to listen to the evidence. Instead, he chose to listen to the guy who told him what he wanted to hear. We're gonna win. Yeah, we're gonna win. Let's get in this fight. I'm a uh, huge UCLA fan. I know. And uh, if someone had come to me yesterday and said, they're gonna beat Oklahoma, I would have said, you're gonna be dead in seven months all the predictions all the prophecies everything lined up there was no way UCLA was ever going to beat Oklahoma yesterday and of course they didn't they got creamed I'm just glad it wasn't a hundred points to nothing but it would have been foolish of me because Rita Awesome who's a USC fan comes to me and says UCLA is going to win go bet your house on it that would have been a bad prophecy And I would have known because she's a USC fan. (laughs) But if I, because I wanted UCLA to win really badly, it would have been really stupid of me to just put that hope out there, hope that they're going to win, and then bet the farm on it. Because all of the evidence and the history and all of the prognostications, my own eyes, watching UCLA play for the first three games of the year, watching Oklahoma play, it was without a shadow of a doubt Oklahoma was going to win. It was just by how much. But if I would have listened to the person who told me what I wanted to hear and bet my house on it, I would have lost my house. That is exactly what Zedekiah did. He bet the farm on a prophet who had bad wisdom. He heard what he wanted to hear instead of what was laid out plainly in front of him by prophet after prophet After profit. So how do you know you're handing the reins to God? Well, first, be careful if it's too good to be true. (laughs) If you think, oh no, the outcome here is I'm going to win the lottery and pay off all my debt so therefore I can buy this new car. I know you want to win the lottery and I'd love you to win the lottery and it'd be awesome if you did win the lottery, but You're probably not going to win the lottery. Probably not a good plan for paying off your debt and buying a new car, depending, you know, putting it all on the lottery. The good news is we today, as followers of God, as believers, we have a much better system of divining the will of God. Does anybody know what that system is? I'm asking. So, if you can blurt it out, if you want. Sorry, the Bible. Bible. You see, what's great about living in the the, the God's economy today is we don't have to rely on prophets and then see if their prophecies come true to to know if we should listen to that prophet or not. We don't have to do that. We have the Bible. It is a miracle. It is the greatest gift that God has given to us next to his, his Son dying on the cross and His love for us is the Bible. The Bible is the will of God spelled out for us. It's the lamp, it's, it's, it's the light, it's the, it's the street lights that light the streets. It paves the road. It paints the picture, whatever phrase you want to use. The Bible is the thing that we can turn to and no, if we're putting our reins into the hands of God. Are we going to be perfect? No. But if we stick with it, and if we know it, and if we study it, and if we love it, and if we pour ourselves into it, and we don't just read it like, like, uh, uh, like, like those calendars that just have quotes and you just read the quote for the day. If you're not doing that, but you're actually pouring yourself into it and learning it... You will be surprised at how obvious it is to hand the reins over to God. He will direct your steps, He will paint the picture, He will pave the road, He will light the way. But too many of us want to rely on prophets, we want to rely on the old system. We want to. We want to roll the dice, or we depend on what we think is best because, of course, we're the most unbiased person in the room when it comes to us. And so we're gonna we're gonna do what we think you know we really want to hear, and we're gonna convince ourselves that it is from God. But you have the Bible right there, the wisdom of God right there, on your phone in a book at your home, on the computer, wherever, it's right there. Let the Bible tell you what it looks like to hand the reins over to God. Don't guess. Don't pull 10 friends. Don't phone a friend. Let the Bible do it. one of my favorite things about sitting in the book of Jeremiah and other series is that we've done where we just stayed with him for a long time because if you sit there long enough you start to learn it and it starts to make sense. So I'm going to close there but I'm going to let you know that next Sunday I want to do what I'm calling a supplemental to this message. So we're not going to necessarily look at a new cringeworthy thing but we have some supplemental information that I want to share with you and I'm going to warn those of you that are uh, historical phobics, history phobics. I don't know if that's the word, but the, those of you who have an allergy to history, I'm going to get into some history. But if you're willing to just sit with it, trust me, it's fascinating, and there's going to be some great lessons learned about the sovereignty of God. So I want to invite you back next Sunday for part two of this or the supplemental to this lesson where we're going to get even a bigger picture of the narrative of the historical context and what was occurring at this point in time. But I, I really, really, truly believe it's going to be valuable to us. But I want to end with that thought with my final thought, which is know your Bible. Get yourself into it. Study it. Learn it. Love it. Don't just skim it because it's there. It's there where you're going to learn the will of God and how to hand the reins over to Him. Amen? Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to close out in a prayer. And then you'll be dismissed. God, it is so great to be together. Thank you for your amazing word and the insight that we get from it. I pray that your spirit guide us and lead us and help every one of us to be able to figure out how to hand the reins over to you in any circumstance we we find ourselves in in life. Thank you for the amazing miracle of your word and that it is so rich and so deep and we have so much story and narrative and and information there. There's so much light and life in there. Inspire us, God, to fall in love with it. Let it be our guide. To Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. (laughs)